What is one thing you love about your daddy? Uh. <laughs> so what's it like being a kid? Well, being a kid is fun. You have like no responsibilities because, I mean, if parents were allowed to be a kid again, they'd be like, wow, this is really easy. What do you love about your daddy? That he plays basketball with me and jumps on trampoline. What do you do to honor your mom and dad? Um, when they ask me to leave, I guess I just, like, accept the challenge. Hey, Bess, what does Mama say? <laughs> what does Daddy say? Daddy! What is one thing that your dad does that drives you crazy? He always puts a limit on our bedtime, like go to bed in three minutes or else. Uh... What is the best thing that your mom and dad have taught you? Oh, Jesus. Hey, Dorothy, what's something mom and dad always tell you to do? <laughs> One thing that mommy taught you. Listen. One thing you love about your daddy. I have no idea. I think of one thing crying <laughs> out loud. One thing that you love about your daddy. He jumped me on the trampoline? Great. Well, that was perfect. <laughs> oh, man, we decided to spare the older kids. So if you miss your campus pastor on the screen, his kids got spared because they aged out of that video. This is an all-radius Sunday, so it's a Sunday, if you're new at Radius, where we get together like this at all six campuses, and we just enjoy the direction of Radius together, and we try to say some things exactly the same way. And this particular Sunday, we're talking about parenting, so we thought we would put a few of our kids on the screen. Something I really wanted to let you know, this is how Radius works. If you're new to a church like Radius, and for us, it's really important. Hey, we hold our campus pastors to a really high standard. We hold our elders, our shepherding elders. We have a, a variety, a group of leaders, and they meet these qualifications in the New Testament, in both 1 Timothy and in Titus. But we don't ask their wives to be uh, pastor's wives. <laughs> the first time Cheryl was ever called a first lady, she didn't know what in the world that was. We really want our wives, those of us that are pastors, we want our wives to be godly, obviously, and and, and meet the same standard that we expect all of the partners at Radius Church. But we do not put our families up on a pedestal. Certainly not our kids. We try to protect the pastor's kids. We do not want to curse them with some kind of label like that. All of us are passionate and we're working hard to raise families just like you are. Um, and so when we're about to open up this can, I'm, I'm about to teach about parenting right out of Ephesians we don't want to put pressure on those families. Uh, we, we really kind of want to raise the bar for all of us. Paul in Ephesians raised the bar for parents, for all believers. So if you know Jesus, this thing's kind of high because he taught you how to love. I don't know if you remember how the beginning of Ephesians goes, but it says that he redeemed you. He says that he adopted you as a son. He made you a part of his family. And so all of a sudden, our quotient for loving others rises the wisdom that we're trusted with because we have the spirit inside of us it raises the bar on how we would parent our kids so as we read these verses that will take up you know just a little bit of time we have on Sundays to get through I hope that they encourage you and for all of us that know Jesus I hope it inspires us to fight for this uh, good work we do as parents let me pray and I'm gonna 
I'm going to read a couple passages to you. Really glad to be on this team with a variety of pastors at all six campuses, Lord. Thank you for them. Thank you for their wives. Thank you for their kids. Thank you for other parts of our team, all different staff members and other pastors on our staff. It's just a joy to get to work together. It's, uh, it's really cool to be a part of this family here at Radius. All the variety of folks that have, have plugged in and partnered here, it's, it's, uh, it's an honor, Lord, to get to lead in this environment. We pray you continue to use us to reach our Radius, love the Mid- Midlands, and, and to make your name great, Jesus. As we talk about parenting, Lord, you know there's pain around this issue. Pray that you meet each of us right where we are and that you be the better teacher over these next few minutes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a favorite proverb of my father's. It's Proverbs 17, verse 6. There's a book in the Old Testament called Proverbs. It's just this book of wisdom. And here's the proverb. It says, grandchildren are the crowning glory of the aged. Parents are the pride of their children. It's a really uh, pretty cool statement. That's out of the NLT. Uh, another translation actually says fathers are the pride of their children. But what I want you to catch from it, grandchildren are the crowning glory of the age. Probably in your room where you're sitting right now, a couple grandparents said amen because they, they, they believe it. There's so much joy that comes out of them because of their grandchildren. And all of us know because some of the pain that's related to this subject, we all know that our parents are the pride of our lives. And, and, and when they fail us, it, it has this deep pain related to it. When you read that proverb, what I want you to catch is this attitude. It's an attitude of joy that's supposed to be had in the family. It's this, this, this feeling of great potential in the family. So as I sit up here, like I'm a product of Shirley Reeves. Right? And my wife, as we, as we raise kids, Cheryl's the product of Marilyn Stewart. And those two ladies fought hard. They fought for their families and they fought to discipline us and raise us in the Lord. And, and so our children, my children, are the beneficiary of those two ladies' work. And they can literally, like my mom and Cheryl's mom, can look at our children and see some of the work they did being reproduced in our family. And that, that's supposed to create great joy. I want to, by the end of this, I want you to have one big thing in your mind. I want, I want you, whether you're married or not, whether you have kids or not, no, let, I want you to be able to say without a shadow of a doubt that you're willing to fight for the next generation, that you're willing to sacrifice some of your stuff to bless the ones that are going to follow us in this nation right now, that we would prepare them for the future because of our willingness to give ourselves away. In the Roman world, just the one century before Jesus, so first century BC, there was a, uh, a leader named Augustus, and they had this massive problem in Rome. Folks didn't want to have kids. They didn't even want to get married. So, so he had to make these laws. He didn't even know Jesus, but because Jesus hadn't come yet, he wasn't a follower of Yahweh. So, but he had to make these laws because they weren't reproducing anymore. So, so People just love partying, right? So he made these laws against infidelity and against overspending, which is really interesting living in a nation we live in right now. Because what happened when folks 
when life became all about sex and whatever else they could have, they stopped wanting to get married and have children. And so there was going to be no future leaders of Rome if marriage wasn't in existence and children weren't beloved in one form or another. They made laws to enforce it. And we live in an interesting day right now where some of those same things are highlighted and, you know, un- under our very noses, some horrible things happen in our nation. Things like abortion, things that are promoted uh, even from our, our, our government in that way that, that belittle the value of children. And so the next thing you know, you wonder, how, how are we going to go forward if we're a nation that's just that selfish? And before you start pointing a finger politically, hey, if we spend all of our resources on ourselves, if we consume everything, then we have... No desire to have kids, right? You don't want to have a kid. You don't want to have too many, ki- too many kids because you want to have enough stuff for yourself. This is really interesting time in our nation. So these verses in Ephesians, they, they're going to jump off the page to you, I, I hope, over the next two Sundays and make a lot of sense to you. Let me, let me read to you Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. And interesting how he ties it to the Lord right out the gate. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well with you, and you'll have a long life on the earth. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. So we decided to split this into two Sundays. This Sunday, I'm going to cover, and I'm going to speak to it from the parent side. And next week, uh, your campus pastor will speak to it from the children's side. So I guess this week is about parenting, and next week is about childrening. I think that's the word. I'm not sure about how to be a child, how to follow your parents. And so it should have like two different views on, on the same subject. And as I talk about being a father or a parent, I, I want to just give you my history. I, I come from a family where I stand on other men's shoulders. So I probably have a bit of an advantage on some of you. But I think you could probably relate to some of the people in my family. So here's me in the middle, and my father's name is Larry. And my dad, uh, his father's name, they called him C.C. His name was Carl. Carl came to Christ in his 30s, right? And, And my dad was already a boy, and he began to pass along the things that he learned about Jesus to his son, Larry. And so my dad caught it a little later than I did, but he was able to take the good things that his dad got and pass them on to me. And now I've passed them on to my children. And uh, sure enough, we got some grandchildren. So there's like five generations there. But CC, he cut the road, right? He, he's the tip of the spear. And some of y'all in the room right now, as you hear this, he didn't have the same advantages that I did by standing on these other two men's shoulders. So thank you. <laughs> Single moms. Uh, dad's in the room where you're the first believer in your family. Thank you for cutting the road. And it is a road to cut. And you, you don't have, you're, like, you're going to want to borrow everything you can to learn how to do this thing because it's imperative. Because we're, we're trying to build, build a spiritual dynasty, right? Like not better than everybody else, we, but we want to pass along this good news that was trusted to us, to our children and to our future grandchildren and their children. And so right now I'm in the middle of the dynasty and it's my job to pass it along to my grandkids. And I got some responsibility for their kids eventually that some of this good news that could flow out of me could go generation to generation to generation. But I'm going to be gone soon, right? Like you could tell I'm getting older by the week. Someday I'm going to be gone and my influence on this planet is going to go away. And so 
I hope to pass that along to my kids. So when we read this passage, dads, parents in the room uh, has a variety of really interesting words. He says to fathers specifically, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you, by the way you treat them. Evidently, dads, uh, we got a potential to provoke our children to anger. I certainly have done it at times. That, that, that is a warning, but it's not this warning that makes us run the other way and olay responsibility. We're supposed to be the governor on how discipline works in our house. So, like, you can provoke your children to anger by being passive, or you can provoke your children to anger by being harsh. A lot of times in homes in America right now, certainly in Christian homes, we end up kind of going one extreme or the other. We got the, the, the families that are, like, hyper-controlling the helicopter parents. They're on top of everything and the kid can't hardly, can't hardly move. And then we got the other folks that are just negligent. And the travel ball coach has a lot more influence on their kid than the parent does. Right? Like, so there's this, this tension for us as Christian parents. We're not supposed to provoke our children to anger, but it says we are supposed to bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So we got this responsibility that's been laid on us. Let me give you just a... A few thoughts on these verses, and then I hope to be extremely practical because I think that's what Paul's trying to do in this passage. He just introduced that we're supposed to live by the Spirit. Right before this passage, he's teaching us how to be husband and wife in the Spirit. And now he's uh, uh, admonishing us to be parents in the Spirit. He's literally telling fathers not to provoke their children, which would be totally foreign to that world. Fathers did what they wanted to do in ancient times. And he's coaching them on this is what it looks like to be a a father under the authority of Jesus. Hey, if you want to be a great dad or a great mom, if you want to be a great parenting couple, the children cannot be the center of your family. It just won't work. They can't come first. They can't be where your mind is at very first. God has to be. He's got to be the first. And they're going to learn very quickly whether they're first or he's first. And then there really can't be seconds. Like if you're married, and I'm excited that you are, and you got kids, then your spouse comes before your kids. Guess what? All my kids have left the house now. My last one just went to college. And guess who's at the house? Cheryl. Like so, so 32 years of marriage, all that investment that we've put into one another, and I realize every home doesn't work just like that. Some of y'all are working with the second marriage. And some of y'all are single again, and you're parenting as a single parent. I appreciate it. So your health, right, as an individual or the health of the couple comes before the children. They're not the center. Best way to do this is ask yourself a really honest question. You can look over at your spouse right now and do it if you want. When you think about your home, you ask this question, who's in charge? If you don't know the answer, I can send Mrs. Reeves over to your house and take her about 30 minutes and she could tell you who's in charge. Because a lot of y'all, young, younger families, when you walk into your home, it's really clear who's in charge. It's the kids. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you want to meet the standard of these verses, you can't meet it if you allow your kids to run the house. It's a challenging thing. It's a hard thing. But it is a principle that I am uber confident in putting in front of you. Your kids can't run the house if you really want to raise them in a healthy way. So 
the goal is, according to these verses, it seems, is like if we're going to bring them up, there's some nurture in there and there's some love, with discipline and instruction, then evidently we're going to train them up how to be an adult. So we've got this end game in mind where they're not going to be here forever. We're preparing them for a future away from us, so we're training them up on how to be an adult. In this passage, it says that comes from the Lord. So there's this expectation that they're going to be an adult, and we hope that they're also going to be a representative in the kingdom of God and, and carry out kingdom business as they walk the planet as adults. It's a pretty interesting proverb. It's Proverbs 22, a lot of good proverbs about parenting. It says this. A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it far away. (laughs) That's a great one. A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness. I don't know if you can remember when you were a kid. I can remember when I was a kid, and that is absolutely true. It's always shocking to me when a baby comes in a room and everybody dotes on them. Oh, what a sweet, what a sweet baby. They always say they're beautiful babies. I, I, I never, like, they never really seem that beautiful to me yet when they're born. But, but sweet baby, yes, but I, I learned really quick from my kids, and I know I proved it as a kid that I might have looked sweet, but I had a whole lot of foolishness in me, and I needed it to be trained out of me. And my mother gave full effort at that, and she fought with her time and energy, <laughs> with the tone of her voice, to work some of that foolishness out. Some of y'all uh, right now are getting a little panicky. Don't. Don't get panicky. Let's, just, let's work through this together. Super important for the future of our world, really, but certainly of the church of Jesus Christ. Some of y'all have this kind of thing inside of you, you're like you wanting to point at your spouse, right? Like, he didn't do this. Most of the time it goes like that. He didn't do this. Or sometimes it'll go, I can't get her to discipline. And we'll point, don't, don't point the finger right now. Let's just take it in and let's figure out how to do this together. I think one of the uh, really important things for us in our years of parenting, 30 years now, is that when we, when we got down, we had to decide to fight for it again. Uh, invariably, Cheryl and I would be going to bed. All the kids would be in bed. We have a bunch of them. If you didn't know, I have six. And uh, I feel like we lost the house. Like the kids were clearly in the center. They were running our home. And the way they were behaving just looked jacked up. And uh, we'd be a little panicky. And over the course of time, we, we, we started learning, hey, we, we've, we've got a little slack. So we'd spend some time praying together, which is difficult, I know, for some of you. But it would be a great thing to do tonight. Review where the kids are. Look at each other. Pray specifically for the kids. And then Cheryl would do this. Cheryl would sit them. Uh, certainly in the early years, Cheryl uh, did the majority of the disciplining. She would sit them on the couch and she'd go, she would say, I haven't been as good a mom as I'd like to be. And she'd reestablish the boundaries, and she would then put them into action. And the first day was really painful in my home. And then over the course of three weeks, and when I was home from work, I would help reinforce those boundaries. And over the course of three weeks, it was amazing what could happen in three weeks that we felt like had completely come apart. We fought for it. And I want to encourage you to do that today. We've had older kids come off of uh, the rails. And I'm going to tell you something. I haven't prayed that well about many things. It's the season, and some of y'all are in it now, and I 
I'm not the most empathetic guy, but I empathize with the pain of praying for a child away from the Lord or in danger by their own choosing. And so we went to war and we prayed for it and we prayed for it and we tried to get to a point where we could rest and trust the Lord with it. Hey, uh, we're in this together. We want to fight for the future of our children together. So uh, I want to invite you to a couple things. One, on the 13th, if you've got a child that you're, you're just really struggling with, we're going we're gonna to hold an all-radius prayer night. We're going to host it at Radius Lexington. And we're, we're simply at 6.30 going to gather, and we're going to pray for our kids. We're going to pray together. We're going to do it together. We're going to war on one another's behalf. You can be a grandparent. You can be uncle or aunt. or You can be whoever you want. You want to come in and pray for somebody by name. That's what we're going to do because we believe that God chases after his children. And then Cheryl and I are going to do a little Q&A. We don't know at all. As a matter of fact, we've proven a lot of things not to do over the years of parenting. We're going to do a little Q&A in, in, uh, on a podcast. So you want to send in questions, those will be available for you to be able to send in the question, and, and we'll give you what we got. So the most moving pictures in the last few days from the uh, invasion of Ukraine has been uh, the father's getting their wife and children to the border and staying and fighting. It moves me every time I hear one of those stories. And you can see the kids gripping some because they don't know if they're gonna, ever going to see their father again. The father's being brave, and I'm assuming radius guys, like this is what we would do, right? We would stand up for this place, and we would defend our land, and we would put our life on the line. But I can't help but think, did they prepare their family for this moment? Like, it's great that they're willing to die for the land that they live on, but did they pass along to their kids everything that they wanted to? Because we never know when that time's going to come. My favorite scene in The Patriot, old school movie, I think made about 2000. Mel Gibson, I don't even remember, I think his name was Benjamin Martin in the movie. Combination of a variety of, of war heroes. There's this scene where one of his sons is killed. And uh, it's, it's horrific. My heart sinks. I, I'll, I'll cry at this point every time. And then there's the next scene is he's grabbing his gun, and he's got his three younger sons, and they're all grabbing their guns, and they've been trained, and they're running to fight the enemy as a family. And the ongoing next five minutes are emotional and painful, something you never want your kid to have to grow up before he has to, but you want him to be ready. You want him to be ready to be a man or a woman if the situation demands it. And certainly in Ukraine, those children, there's a demand for them to grow up really fast right now. So parents in the room, our work is urgent. It is uh, incredibly important for the future of the church in the United States and for our, just our simple individual children's hope and future. So I got a friend at Grace Church in, uh, in Greenville. He's a great friend of mine, and they do this, a really great job talking about parenting. They got a series, if you want to go to their website, gracechurchsc.org, a series called Parenting Matters. It's four parts. They spend about 45 minutes a piece. If you, if you can't figure this parenting thing out, listen to all four parts. I'll, I hope to just inspire you to take a next step today because that's all the time I've got. 
they do a really good job of talking about how you parent when the children are young, like zero to five, and then what you do when they're six to 11. It doesn't work out exactly like on their 12th birthday, you make a transition, and then what you do from 12 to 18 and how this thing kind of works. Our world and what we're being taught in society is the exact opposite of what the Proverbs would teach or the Bible would teach. And quite honestly, it's what the world is teaching is the exact opposite of what works. So they, they run you through this little graph. It's pretty cool. Um, the first part of a child's life, you're establishing authority. We've got a bunch of young families in, in the room. I want to give you a permission today. I want you to walk out the door saying, it's my house and establish authority in your home. And then there's this second process, 6 to 12, 13, whatever, of developing responsibility. And this third process of facilitating independence. Pretty different, right? Like at the beginning, establishing authority, you're telling them, hey, I make the decisions here. At, at our house, we go to Wendy's, a bunch of kids in a minivan, pull up to the uh, a little drive through and the lady says, what do you want? And I look back in the back, and it's, it's like this. Do you want a hamburger or a chicken burger? <laughs> We're going to make it that simple. <laughs> and, and they had to choose, and they got to choose fast. If they don't choose fast, I go chicken burger. I'm choose for you. I'm establishing authority. You're like, that's not fair, man. They could get like one of the mochas with like, I don't know what y'all have in your mocha. Like, like, it's not about fair. I'm trying to raise my kids for their futures. I'm trying to bless them. I'm trying to give them this sense of authority so that when they have a ball someday, they'll know what to do. So the coaches love having them on their team so that the teacher never has to call me. Chicken burger or hamburger? It's also really easy as a parent to make a decision in the drive through line. And then uh, they move to this second stage of developing responsibility. And that second stage is interesting. So I send them into Wendy's with a $5 bill. I know I'm cheap. You go 99 cent meal, you can get a lot of food for that. Malachi Reeves used to get three uh, chicken sandwiches because he could give them all 99 cents, a fry and a shake and a water to maximize his total intake, right? So I'm teaching him some responsibility. You got $5? If, when it's gone, it's gone. You can take some home. You do what you want to, and he's going to maximize his food intake there. You kind of walk in with him in it. I don't know when the kids are little and you're saying chicken burger or hamburger. You kind of got the, your hands on their shoulders and you're guiding them. You're going like this. And then when you give them the $5, you're kind of putting your hand on their shoulder and you're walking in with them. And you're, you're helping them to make the decision. And then as they get older, you're beginning to, you're trying to facilitate independence to teach them how to do this. College, choosing a college was a really interesting part where we're facilitating independence. So uh, JT, some of you guys know JT. He's 21. He's deciding where to go to college. He's really smart and got that from his mama. So uh, he puts in an application to Princeton, and we go up and visit Princeton. I don't know what I think about Princeton, right, because it's pretty liberal, and I'm not talking about politically liberal. I'm talking about the way they treat the Bible specifically, and I don't even really know what I think, but I'm leading like this. So I'm facilitating independence. We get up there, we go through the tour, which, you know, like it was clear in the course of the tour that I'm the least educated person in the whole group. And JT's taking it all in. We're seeing each spot. And they tell us about one president. I think James Madison went to Princeton and they show us a room where he was. And then he take us out to this gazebo and the guy's going on and got all these parents and kids in a circle. And he's like, does anybody else... Anybody in here know who the other president is that went to Princeton? 
it was hilarious. Like all, all, all these brains are, are just churning. You can almost see like the smoke coming out of their ears. And I'm looking around watching the parents trying to remember who else went to Princeton and the kids working about it. I looked at JT because I wanted kind of permission to answer because you're right. I knew the answer, right? So I, I go, Woodrow Wilson. JT looked at me. I'm like, what? We walk out. He goes, how'd you know? I go, it was on the side when we walked in this place. It was awesome. It was this moment. And I hope you feel it right now of joy for me, like the least educated to be with my son in this place. I don't belong, but he does. And help him make a decision on that college and to pray for where he should go. It was, uh, it was a joy and it was a blessing to get him where he's at now and watch him grow in the Lord. Hey, this passage... Uh, puts a ton of weight on discipline and instruction. It says not to provoke our children, but to discipline and instruct them in the Lord. So just for a few minutes, I don't have a lot of time. I want to help you with discipline. Kind of the Reeves MO. We like to talk about it, discipline. Cheryl tells me every time I talk about discipline, I need to remind everybody how many hugs we gave, how much affection went with that. So let me take a few minutes on discipline. I'm going to be really practical, and I'm borrowing this from my friend in Greenville. Um, then I want to take a minute or two on instruction. Hey, when you have young kids and we have a lot of families there, you, you, you really want to start here with the hands on the shoulders. You want to define reality for them. So chicken burger or hamburger, right? You're defining reality. You're, you're going to tell them what you believe. You can't force your kid to believe everything, but you're going to tell them what you believe. You're going to define good and bad. Kind of awkward at times, good and bad. Hey, we don't say that, right? You're going to say something, hey, we don't say that. And, and we're not going to have a PhD conversation on why we don't say that word. We're just going to tell them, we don't, we don't say that. And then you demand that they don't say that. You're going to put mashed potatoes in, in front of them, and they're going to go, I don't, I don't like mashed potatoes. You're going to go, eat your mashed potatoes. And you're like, man, what kind of parent were you? Yeah, I was that kind of parent. I'm trying to bless my kids by starting here so that when they get older, I can free them. Some of y'all, as you know, and you, you, you're saying amen right now because you started, this is how our society teaches us to raise our kids, with them full of freedom. They're supposed to discover themselves from zero to five. And then when you try to rein that back in when they're 15 or 16, you're squeezing them back in. And it's, it's virtually impossible to get it back. So we start in here tight. Eat your mashed potatoes. So that later when they're older, they got this freedom and they can make a good decision because you established character in them when they're young and they know what to do with authority so first you define reality it's uh not that complicated eat the food on your plate <laughs> uh, tell them straightforward what they can and can't say what they can and can't touch you're just coaching them and it seems like it's endless some of you parents with young children you know it's just this endless grind of work as you educate them and you teach them what reality is Number two, you want to train them toward productivity, which is, is to say you're proactive in training as opposed to reacting to what they do. You're, you've got a plan. You're training them toward productivity. So one of the things that we did and in, in, in a lot of folks advise is we're teaching them how to be obedient so that in a situation they know how to respond. And so obedience kind of works like this. When you're teaching a child to be obedient, you're teaching them that we expect obedience immediately, right? Like it's, it's supposed to happen. There's supposed to be a verbal, uh, a verbal response to me. When I speak to you, you say what? 
Yes, sir. South Carolina, say yes, sir. And Iowa, you say yes. <laughs> Elijah Reeves spent like two days on his bed when we met from, moved from Iowa to South Carolina because he couldn't get yes, sir, right? And, and Cheryl would work with him all day long trying to get, he's the best yes, sir kid we got because of that, that two days worth of work. It's this verbal, immediate response. Do not count for your kid. Okay. One or three, two, one. Who's in charge? Who's in the center of the house when you're counting? And then you go one and a half, two and a half. Who's in the center? They're controlling you, and you're not controlling them. And in essence, it puts them in a really bad spot because they're not learning how to be under authority, which is going to be the rest of their lives. Obedience has got to be complete. Man. We dealt with this a thousand times. We failed at it so many times. Hey, put your clothes away when you get up to the bedroom. So they take it out of the laundry room. Anybody else live this, this drill? Take it to the laundry room, put it on the bed. You come back up, you're like, I didn't tell you to put it on the bed. I told you to put it away in the drawers. Then they set it on top of the dresser. Like it's this process of training your kids to, in obedience, respond immediately and then completely. And then there's this really hard part of doing it with a joyful attitude. Cheryl used to go, nice face, nice face. And she put her fingers on, on the side of her lips because the kids would be told something. And, and they said, yes, sir, but their face says, I hate what you just told me. So there's this moment where, hey, as a parent, I'm not just trying to get their actions right. I'm trying to train their hearts. So I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Not with one from zero to five. Now, when they're 13 and you tell them to go blow the leaves in the yard and they roll their eyes on the way out, as long as it's not too disrespectful, then you just let them go blow the leaves. One of the things I always ask, did they blow the leaves? It's, it changes as we come up through that deal. And if you start tight, establishing authority and then developing some responsibility and then, then facilitating independence, then that thing works a whole lot easier. When it comes time to send them away. There's consequences for disobedience. I always want to be careful with this because uh, some of you grew up in a home where abuse was rampant. So when you hear consequence, if you hear physical discipline, there's no way for you to process that other than uh, with horror and deep pain. I want to encourage you that it can be done right. But I also want to be sensitive to the pain that uh, many in our community experience. But without consequences for disobedience, it's really hard to train productivity. So consequences for us is like this tone, like part of the consequence can just be your tone. And you ought to practice it. Hey, some of you young moms, you need to practice this in the mirror because you're not very good at it, right? Like there's got to be this tone that you bring. I just got to experience it the other night with one of my grandchildren, no names for grandkids, right, at my house, and their mama told them something, and they looked at me hoping I was going to affirm with laughter, and I, I said one word, and I, I just changed my physical uh, appearance, and she started crying, which was perfect. That's what we wanted, right? I want to be in support of her mama living out some discipline because it makes a difference, and actually, that's a part of discipline. Like, this is how I respond when you do that. It doesn't always work, right? Like sometimes they do something that's just so funny, it's hard to hold it together, but they need, they need discipline. They need consequences to their disobedience. For us, we spanked. Again, some of you have seen that abused. For us, that was, we tried to do that as healthy as we 
could. We didn't do it perfectly. It was three swats. That was the max. That may have been exceeded on a time or two. And so now as grown kids, when they sit around the dinner table, occasionally there'll be this 30-minute storytelling of moments where one of the six of them was spanked, right? Like when they were physically disciplined. And uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting because you're probably going, what in the world is wrong with that family? But it's like this, it's crazy how much joy is in that 30 minutes. It's as if they understood that all that work we did, even though it was flawed and sometimes we got them for the wrong things. Sometimes I hit my thumb with the daggum spoon and felt like I broke it. Like all, all kinds of funny things happen in that, those moments. But there's some joy around it because it actually established character. And then, uh, man, Russell's going to laugh at Radius Lexington. I'm a, the talionic justice. <laughs> I just want to say talionic justice for Russell because a really great way to parent and to, and to give consequences for disobedience is to punish um, according to the crime. It's a great way to. It's a great way to get things, which is not always physical, and it's not always sit on the bed, and it's not always tone. Sometimes you do something that really responds to what they did or didn't do. One time I came home, we'd been on a trip. I'd left one of the older boys in charge, left instructions on uh, what needed to happen at the house. We get home, and very little of the instructions were accomplished. We had 18 acres. And we generally only cut an acre of it with the push mower to keep the landlords happy. But Clemson was playing on Saturday. I knew all three of my younger boys really wanted to see the Clemson game, so I go, all 18 acres got to be cut by the time the game starts. Well, it was, a, again, Russell, Italianic justice, right? Like I was, they had not done all the work they were supposed to do, which only would have taken an hour or so. So instead, they were going to spend 20-some hours in the yard behind the push mower Knocking out the yard so they could watch the Clemson game it was the best. At the end, the 17-year-old takes the mower from the 11-year-old. He's like, we got to get this done. He's running up and down across the yard. It was beautiful, and they tell stories about it. You're going, like, that seems harsh, and I'm telling you, they're proud of it. I bless those kids. Hey, if you got boys, I got plenty of them. Number four. You got to rein in their recklessness. <laughs> they just do some crazy stuff. So you got to figure out what to do with it. I still remember Isaiah, my oldest. He's three years old, got a new toy. It's on the table and he's playing with it, but he can't figure it out. And eventually he's just so mad. He takes his, le he's left, he takes his left hand, bounces it off the wall. He hits it so hard off the table, it hits the wall. And I turn to show you, you know this parent, like I want to laugh my head off, but I also need to teach him how to take care of stuff. He's just being reckless. He doesn't know we pay for that thing. So like I got to control my laughter and then I got to go deal with him face to face and get this thing right. So I'm trying to bless him for his future. It was funny, but he's going to make some decisions later and I want him to learn how to take care of stuff. It's reckless. He was just being reckless. You can be reckless in relationships. You can be reckless with stuff. And so you're trying to start here so you can release later. And teach them to value others. Number five, really want to teach them to value others. If you knew me when I had little kids and we were talking, one of the things we teach our kids was to come up and put their hand on our arm when we're talking to you because they're, they're supposed to respect you and the conversation we're having instead of coming up to me and saying, Daddy, Daddy. That did not always work. Sometimes they said daddy, daddy all the time. All the time. Uh, and, and sometimes they did exactly what we instruct them to. But we were working on it, right? Like you're just 
fighting for this thing. And I hope you hear that while I'm talking. There is none of us that have this, this parenting art figured out. We're just fighting for it. And it's a pleasure to be a part of a body where we fight for it together. We take it serious and yet we laugh about it. Uh, we used to work on trying to get the kids to give eye contact. It's amazing. You can tell often where how a kid grew up if he knows how to make eye contact with an adult. It just takes discipline. You're like, hey, listen, your life's not so important. You got to actually value others. You got to look at him or her in the eye when they speak to you. I got a friend in the upstate. When you come to his house, his kids would all jump up and greet you at the door, even if the game's on, even if the TV's on, even if there's a game being played. They'd jump up from wherever they were. That's how they were trained, and they were supposed to greet you, and then they could go back and do whatever it was. It was super impressive. Establishing authority. I'm running out of time. That probably feels a little bit like the law, which may scare some of you. Man, I really believe when you establish authority with young children, you teach them as the Scripture teaches, as the law does. It teaches us that we're sinners. And so by the time you're five years old, you already know that you're a sinner because you've been corrected so often, which puts you in a whole lot better position to repent. It helps you be in a way better position to understand grace because you know that you're a sinner and you need somebody to pay for your sins. So yeah, zero to five, six, seven, whatever. It is a little bit like the law in hopes that they will experience grace and know our Savior. Uh, two minutes on instruction. Hey, uh, we, we say it all the time. If you can get to the kitchen table, there's no better place than instruction. As a matter of fact, on the way out of the children's areas today, they're going to be given these placemats that help you uh, look at a little scripture it uh, encourages you to hear a couple stories out of their day, give you the opportunity to pray with your kids. They can sit on the table, and this week, hey, I, this isn't easy, but you fight your way to that table for the future of your kids. Uh, one of the things that I, I really wanted to encourage you to do is to read, read to the kids. I'm not the greatest reader, uh, so oftentimes I would tell stories from the Bible as I remembered them in my head. Cheryl would read all variety of books. There's something right now in our times where everything's video and everything, everything is easy, accessible on a, on, a, on a phone to have your parent read out of a book. It's pretty cool. I would just say, man, make time. It shows them that you're interested in them. Give them the energy to get to it. Our children's church is really intentional about teaching kids the Bible, so Having them here on Sundays, that's a gift. It's a part of your responsibility. Dad, specifically, it's your responsibility for your kids to be instructed in the Lord. There's lots of work to do that. We talk about that on the podcast. Can't get to all that here. You can watch the grace thing on uh, uh, Parenting Matters, and that'll help you in that regard as well. Last set of verses, and I need to quit. This is Hebrews chapter 12. It says, for our earthly fathers, I love this verse because I failed so often as a dad. Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. They fought for it. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of righteous living for those who are trained in this way. 
these powerful words about how God the Father loves us and disciplines us. I always read that. I celebrate that first verse because, man, I just, I'm fighting for it at the end when, when we're all done. I want to say I fought for the future of my children. But God fought for it and finished it. He crushed his own son on the cross. He broke his body, shed his blood. He not only fought for it, he won it. And he redeemed you and made you one of his children. And even today, already paid for by the blood of Jesus, and now I'm officially a child of God. He continues to love me by bringing discipline. He makes life hard at times. There's difficult moments where it checks me and trains me. And I just need to tell you, if you have not been disciplined by God, you're probably not his child. It's a very honest question to ask as you think about taking bread and juice this morning. Am I a child of God? Does he discipline me? And then even can after a while I enjoy the difficulties that God's walked me through because of how he's changed me to look more like him? Hey, man. Really glad to be on the parenting team with you. It certainly takes a village. If you're single and you took this in, you're going, that's not me. I don't have it. Yeah, you do, man. We, we got we to help this next, this next generation. So whether you have children or not, we have this responsibility to this next generation. There's so much you have to give to them. Will you? Will you give it to them? Will you fight for them? I want to. Father, Last son left the house last year. You know this truth. And so uh, turns out we're still not done. And I want energy to be a really good parent to grown kids. Lord, I'd love to have, I'd love to be fun enough to be a good grandfather. I want to have energy for the people at Radius Kids. I hope that our church, Lord, you give us insight and wisdom and good ideas on how to train Radius kids to walk with you for the rest of their lives. Pray you would give us favor, that you protect our kids from sin, that you would uh, keep the enemy out of their business. Pray for courage for parents that are really parenting against the norm in our day. Pray you give the young moms Lots of energy to do all this work that they're doing right now with young children and and the fathers that have grown kids, the wisdom that it, it takes to to facilitate independence. Help us, Lord. Some of us have made a mess of it. You know that. We pray that you meet us with your grace. Some of us have lost a few kids. And they're... Uh, far, far away from you. We pray, Lord, even right now that you would chase after them, save their souls, and save them from the consequences of some of their actions. Help us, Lord. We love you. Amen.